This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Morena, no mai kiti korero, and welcome to the catch up on Manawatu People's Radio. Tereo Irarangi Onatangata O Manawatu. Uh, firstly, an apology. The catch up has been notable by its absence for most of this week. Uh, the circumstances beyond our control. Uh, we are going to be making a few tweaks, though, in order to make sure that we can bring the catch up back on a more regular basis. Uh, but someone who is always regular on the catch up uh, is uh, MP for Palmerston North. Tangi Utikeri, good morning to you, sir. Morena Fraser, great to be back with you this morning and to recognise that it is uh, Chinese Language Week, Nihao, and Tuvalu Language Week, Talofa. So I know we've sort of changed where we, we sort of um, used to have only one of these sort of opportunities every now and then, but to have two in one week uh, and so apt that we use those greetings for Palmerston, which is so multicultural. As well, and and with close connections to China as well. Sister City, yeah. In my former role, I uh, I was able and fortunate to travel over there to Guiyang, um, in south sort of southwestern China. Uh, very very spicy food, but a wonderful place um, to visit, and that strong connection with with the city over many many years. Now, uh, a little peek behind the curtain uh, for the listeners. We are recording this on Thursday. Uh, The listeners will be enjoying this on Friday, but it is Thursday. And of course, uh, the main headlines at the moment cannot go uh, unaddressed. Uh, The conservatorship of Britney Spears has come to an end. So we're all happy about that, aren't we? Oh, yeah, I join you in that. Uh, There there might be others who perhaps are a little bit concerned, uh, but... Each to their own, uh, you're not necessarily going to get that high level of concern from me. Uh, so you're not a user of hashtag free Britney then? No, no. <laughs> Do you know, just last week, I was uh, I, I did my first reel and my first remix on Insta. Uh, so listeners may want to check that out. But perhaps it's a, it's a great opportunity, me in the halls of parliament doing a little bit of a jig. Uh, but no, the hashtag was quite different. Actually, the hashtag is for your family because it uh, was around promotion of, of the vaccine, which is pretty important. It is indeed. And we'll perhaps talk about that uh, as we discuss COVID things. But uh, I have noted that in the past few weeks when we've talked to you, the conversation has been dominated by COVID and we haven't had a chance to talk about much else. Uh, given the general lethargy over COVID at the moment, I thought we might start with other things and maybe end with COVID-related matters. Uh, as we come through. Uh, And one of the reasons that you would have been doing a jig in the Houses of Parliament, uh, aside from good causes, is that your local government bill uh, passed its first reading. It did. So uh, members here and listeners uh, there will know that this is something that uh, was drawn earlier in the year. It's a bit of a, a lottery. It comes out of the biscuit tin from Decker. And it had its first reading in the House last week. Um, Just to update everyone, it's a bill that would require transparency across all councils throughout New Zealand by uh, establishing a a register where you'd have to declare all your interests. Pecuniary interests. Correct, yes, pecuniary interests. 
um, which basically means something that you have an interest where you get some gain out of it, uh, generally financial gain. Um, but yes, it was up on the agenda last week and uh, it passed unanimously its first its first hurdle. So those that uh, perhaps are a little bit unfamiliar with parliamentary process, it means it's now being sent off to a select committee where members of the public can have their say on whether they think it's a good bill or not. I'm anticipating that um, there might be a few proposals that come through um, that was certainly discussed and debated in the House last week um, and a few tweaks, and I'm pretty open to that. But to have it go to the select committee with the unanimous support of the parliament, so... Labour, National, the Greens, ACT and Te Pāti Māori all voted in favour of it. It's something that doesn't happen very regularly around this place, uh, but it is pleasing to see. Indeed. Uh, and so, yes, uh, I mean, this uh, th- would this come into effect in time for the local government elections next year or do we think that this might be in four years' time? I, I don't think it will be in, in place if it is successful um, for next year. Um, the select committee, I think, is hearing, well, receiving submissions until late November. Then there'll be an opportunity to speak to that. So that'll be sort of mid next year. Um, it has to go through the parliamentary process again. And then it doesn't actually come into effect until six months after um, it's given the royal assent. So all going well, uh, it will be in place for the 2025 uh, local body elections. And uh, and as you sort of alluded to, this is a way for people uh, when they're looking at their electric, electoral information to see uh, if someone is a major stakeholder in some, you know, uh, for argument's sake, a major stakeholder in Toyota, which is a big part of, of this electorate, and that might have a bearing on where they may vote on issues. Uh, does it also look at non-financial affiliations? It looks at, uh, for example, land that you own, uh, whether you have an interest, any trusts that you might be in. It also actually includes a provision to declare any gifts that you might receive in your role as an elected member, um, and, and you need to set a threshold. So the threshold that I've set in the, in the proposed law is $500 as a market value. Um, also, further to that, it provides an opportunity uh, to declare, or actually it requires uh, members to declare any contribution that other parties might make towards any uh, travel or accommodation overseas. Uh, so, yeah, there, there is a wee bit in there. Um, I think some of the comments from some members, including Mr McKelvey, who you might want to have a chat and, and about this the next time you talk to him, Fraser, is that he thinks actually this bill of mine will turn people off local government because it will force them to disclose some of their private information. Obviously, I have a different view around that. Um, you know, the suggestion that some people shouldn't have to disclose this because it's not a full-time job or they don't get paid as much as perhaps, you know, the, the similar amount that members of parliament get paid um, misses the point. You know, for me, this is a bill about transparency, the fact that whether you are a highest paid city councillor or perhaps you're not, um, you still have a vote around that table and you make multi-million dollar decisions. And so the public have an opportunity to be transparent around that. Well, I mean, and there is a lot to be said for the the notions of being turned off uh, local government because we've been hearing discussions around the representation reviews at the moment that have kicked in because of the Māori wards, uh, looking at the number of councillors and and balancing the sort of pool of funds that a council has to pay councillors, whether it be eight or 15, the pool of money is the same. So attracting councillors is is, uh, potentially increased by having fewer of them so that 
the, the, the money is more. Uh, also, the notion of uh, this uh, idea of, of declaring your interests. This is something that we see in central government already. To what extent does your bill for local government align with what the expectations are of, of central government? Are they going to be quite similar or is this a sort of diluted version for local government? Actually, the, the one for local government is is stricter. It's uh, it's much stronger than what's expected for members of parliament. And so I'm expecting, you know, those submissions to touch on that. For example, members of parliament are expected to disclose um, interests that they have as at the 31st of January every year. So someone could have some interests, for example, in Toyota, as you've indicated, but they may dispose of those interests, say, in terms of shares uh, in the second week of, of January and then pick them up again in the second or third week of February, and there is no requirement on them to disclose those shares uh, as a Member of Parliament. Whereas the Local Government Pecuniary Interest Register Amendment Bill in my name actually requires uh, members to disclose their interest for the previous 12-month period. So there is an opportunity to align things there, whether it's around changing the parliamentary approach uh, or whether it's around changing what's in the bill. Um, I, I'm, I'm pretty open to that, and I expect, based on contribution from other MPs in the House last week, for that to be a point that's, um, that's debated and discussed. So it's gone through its first reading. We'll see some tweaks and hopefully see it progress. You don't foresee any major uh, delay in this process. You know, people obviously, it seems to be that whilst there may be some occasional dissenting views, overall people think this is a good idea. Yeah, some of the other parties made some comments, for example, about, you know, is this going to create an additional administrative burden on councils to compile all of this sort of stuff? So it's little tweaks that we can work through. Um, Look, the position of other parties, they may change over the course of of this particular bill going on through the select committee. We'll have to wait and see. Um, It was a, a pleasure to hear, you know, members from across the House um, congratulate a new member like myself on having the bill drawn. Some had said, you know, uh, Eugenie Sage, been here for nearly 10 years, haven't had hers drawn. Tamati Coffee said he was very, very jealous because he hadn't his, had his drawn. But I note actually that the biscuit tin came out the following day on the Tuesday at lunchtime and his bill was drawn. So um, no need for jealousy there anymore, I've reminded him. Uh, look, it, it's part of the process. I encourage anyone to participate in it, and um, I look forward to hearing from the community. So do you get a chance to put another bill in the tin now, or do you have to wait until this one's finished its process before you can do that? No, I, I, can, I can put one back in. Um, I, I'm sort of doing some work around... Around that, I actually welcome the opportunity for listeners, if you think there's a particular issue that needs to be sorted, well, actually, many people think that lots of issues need to be sorted by Parliament, uh, but if there's one that you think actually there is a, a bit of a tweak here or there that could be made, uh, feel free to get in touch with me, because uh, I'm happy to, to entertain a whole range of things. And if we think about the history of members' bills, they have really resulted in a number of changes. Lewis of War, uh, you know, in terms of marriage equality, um, you know, same-sex marriages, uh, civil unions, uh, prostitution law reform. Um, she's currently got another bill that's progressing through a select committee that I'm on, the health one, which is about the inability of people to be able to protest in areas outside of where abortions take place. Um, she's also had her bill drawn last week as well. She's got the luck of that tin, I tell you, um, which is around, I think, the protection of uh, journalists um, around disclosing their sources and, and those sorts of things. So, um, yeah, I'm 
I'm able to put one in. Um, I don't have one in there at the moment. To, to be honest, I wasn't expecting to have mine drawn so quickly, uh, but we'll see. Is it uh, perhaps an opportunity, just looking at uh, local news here, uh, to put a bill in that addresses the land bank? Uh, you may be aware of the school that had uh, the Ministry of Education took the school's own property, their own land, put it in land bank without a second thought, and that's it. That That's the end of the game. The school cannot have that land back now, even though it was an error. Are we getting to the point where treaty settlements are starting to come to a close that we could loosen up the rules on the land bank and allow people to uh, retract errors like that? Well, there is an option, and I think you're referring to the uh, what was the former Taihapi Area School land that, that Lynn's had, had come along and, and you know, effectively the ombudsman has said that they did something that they shouldn't have. Um, in terms of that wider settlement phase, you know, governments over the years have uh, set out a plan for settlements, and it used to be the Office of Treaty Settlements. Now it's uh, Te Arafiti, which is the new Crown Relations Agency. Um, for those that are interested, it means, as I understand it, a bridge or the bridge. Um, you know, and, and many have signalled a, a time frame around trying to ensure that the redress is done in an appropriate way. Um, and look, that could be an option in terms of the prevention of land banking. There are, I think at last count, just over 60 uh, different bills that are in the biscuit tin ballot. And there's a whole range of them. You know, they can be from little tweaks around directorships and KiwiSaver right through to significant changes um, around some of those societal issues that are often treated as conscience issues. Fair enough. We are here with Tangi Utikeri, Mema o Parimata o Papaioya for the catch-up. Remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the catch-up series, you can head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Uh, we are also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your online listening. Uh, let's turn uh, to a couple of government announcements, Tangi. First off, the Police Safety Initiative funding. This is a, a fairly large uh, amount of money to to, well, protect police safety and uh, look at new initiatives. Yeah, it is, and it's something I'm pretty proud of. I um, actually had a contribution in the House to the the general debate um, this week, um, and I I use that as an opportunity because Wednesday of this week was Police Remembrance Day, uh, where we acknowledge those uh, officers who have fallen in the line of duty. Um, But this is a $45 million uh, investment in frontline safety that was announced uh, by the Minister last week. Um, there are two components to it. Well, there are three, actually, but um, the, the third one is around an increase in staffing around intelligence analysts and the like. But the other two are around increasing the, well, doubling the amount of time that new recruits and police get in terms of the frontline safety aspect and training, how to uh, de-escalate an issue. Um, currently, I understand it's um, a matter of days and it's going to be doubled. So that's that's really helpful. And the other is this introduction of tactical support teams uh, which are specially trained police officers um, who will be in the community being able to deal with some um, issues that require a tactical re- response but without being armed. So this is, you know, something that has been welcomed. And my meeting with the uh, local inspector just on Friday last week uh, is that this is welcome news. You know, Palmerston North actually is probably a good place where this new pilot opportunity, which is the start of that before, before it's rolled out, could take place. That's not a matter for me, though, but it's it's an example of government investing in some of that frontline response to keep our communities safe. 
So are we going to see police vans dotted around the city just filled with riot police or are we looking at something a bit more nuanced and, and, and sensitive than that? No, it's going to, you, you, what you should see and what I'm told is what we should see is just a continuation of normal police activity in terms of visual presence. So it won't be as if suddenly there's this big van of, you know, armed offenders squad people suddenly turning up. It's, it's individuals who are specifically trained in tactics who will form part of the general blue, blue force um, and that, that when they're needed, they'll be called upon, but it, they won't be sort of, you know, arriving on, on mass and not in an envoy um, or kitted out, that this is just part and parcel of um, the approach that the police take to be members of our community. And, um, you know, talking with the inspector last week, that's what they want. They want to engage with retailers and members of the community. Um, takes me back to when I was a kid in the 80s where you'd see the local Bobby walking the streets. Um, it seems to be circular and that's coming back again as well. But a, a significant investment, $45 million, or just over. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and that, that raises a, a valid point. At the moment, the Bobby on the beat is the, the I think I said Vauxhall there, good Lord. The Holden uh, driving around town. Uh, if you're in Palmerston North and you're on Main Street, you'll see one flying out of that automatic gate from the police station every so often. That's the visual presence of the police in New Zealand. Is when are we going to see a police officer, ideally a pair of police officers, just walking around? I mean, that, that, that to me, and as you've said with your own memories, that was the police presence that was less intimidating, more community minded, more relationship building, more uh, effective in terms of de escalation. You know, that should be something we're aiming for, isn't it? Yeah, it's certainly about relationships and keeping the, the community at, at heart. And, you know, members of our local police constabulary are very much a key part of our local community. Um, you know, from time to time, there is an opportunity for the police to get out on the beat, walk down Broadway or wherever it might be. Um, but there are also pressures on resourcing. We understand that. We all res- we all um, have that experience from time to time. But what I would say is that, and I know you and I, uh, previously have done one of these sessions at Festival of Cultures, you know, in, in the NPR tent there. And what we see there is a, a community police presence amongst festivals, amongst events. Um, I want to see a continuation of that. I want to see people not afraid of the police, but rather feel free to go on up and, and have a conversation with, you know, members of our community. So, yes, from time to time, we do see and hear police vehicles screeching out of, you know, the station at Church Street. But remember, we have other police um, satellite sites, I guess you could call them, based in Highbury. There is a a, a police presence there. They regulate the Highbury um, shops in terms of, you know, the the business that they go about engaging with to Wakahuia, going down to um, the local dairy and what have you. Um, It is a a balancing act. I get that. Uh, But this alongside the need for uh, good training in terms of frontline safety uh, is a good move in the right direction, if you ask me. Is this just, though, uh, an alternative to more police? Uh, Instead of putting $45 million into specialist training so that a few police can tackle an issue, would that $45 million be better spent on just more police? It's interesting because while while we want, you know, a, a good number of police, we also want to make sure that our police officers are well trained, that they keep safe and that they can deal with the situations that arise. And they are a variety of situations that arise. I've been out on the beat with the police in the early hours of the morning, 
um, on the right end of of, of that, uh, I have to say, uh, to see what it is that they have to actually experience. They do a fantastic job in what are trying and difficult circumstances. And that's the point, because they are well-trained at the moment. I appreciate that you can always improve and always do better, but they are well-trained at the moment. They've got a vast array of skills but just more of them, and then that, that resourcing, restraint, and balancing act becomes less of an issue because you have more to put people out on the streets more regularly and, and still have some in the cars and some in vans if necessary. That, that's a pure numbers game. I, I get that and I accept that. What this funding, the, the $45 million, will make a difference to all police officers because this is a rollout opportunity for all members of the constabulary in terms of doubling the frontline safety component of the staff of the training. So this is not just a select uh, few. This is actually going to ensure that that people who are in the force are, um, I guess, receiving an even better level of training so that they are um, able to, when they are placed in a situation which is a bit confronting, that they are able to deal with that better um, and that we don't get negative results um, as a consequence of that. Uh, we are here with Tangi Utikere, Member of Parliament uh, for Palmerston North, on the catch-up. We've got about seven or eight minutes left, uh, enough time to look at uh, the government's immigration announcements uh, on Thursday. Um, and this is, uh, well, I guess a step in the right direction in terms of maybe securing uh, the additional uh, people or skills that we need moving forward in a, in a well, I was going to say post-COVID, but a current COVID environment. Yeah, this is a, a pretty exciting announcement um, that the government have made, uh, you know, Thursday. Um, and effectively, it has the potential to have an impact on, I'm told, about 165,000 uh, people. So this is uh, for current visa holders that fit a certain criteria, i.e. they are a essential skills visa holder. Um, there are a few other visas that, that fit the, uh, the mix there. Um, and they meet a certain number of other criteria, then they have a one-off opportunity to apply for permanent residency. So this will be um, encouraging news to a number of people actually that have engaged with us at the electorate office. Um, As a result of this government announcement, which is significant, it is the most uh, significant uh, immigration setting announcement that we have uh, made as a government since we've moved into a COVID era, current era, as you put it. Um, and as a result of that, I have um, instructed my local staff to look at all of the individuals who have um, engaged with us since I've uh, become the MP, just to point them in the right direction. There is a, a pretty handy tool checker uh, on the immigration website where people can pump in what their circumstances are and it indicates whether they fit that criteria or not. Um, it's not an open opportunity for everyone. Uh, there is particular criteria, for example, one criteria is that you've been in New Zealand for three years. Another is that you're paid um, you know, above the medium wage uh, in terms of the hourly rate. Another is that you hold an official or uh, registration with certain um, professions like health or, or teaching, education, those sorts of things. So it will help um, our, our healthcare practitioners, our teachers, our people involved in construction, agriculture, um, those sorts of settings to give them a one-off opportunity if they so choose. It, it, it's... Uh, I don't want to accuse you of the or the government of spin, but this, I, I, I agree, it offers a degree of security and uh, understanding of the situation moving forward with the permanency that comes with permanent residence. But these are people that are in New Zealand. 
that have been working in these spaces already. This is not going to address any shortages or any workforce needs uh, with regards to nursing or construction in, in those regards, is it? This isn't new people. Uh, it, 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 well, in some respects, it is new people who fit the um, critical purposes option because that's a separate one that was announced today as well, that if there are people through to, I think, uh, mid-July 2022 who are coming into New Zealand as a result of meeting that critical purpose or critical need, then they will form part of being eligible for this one-off opportunity. But it does provide certainty to those that are here. Because yes, while it won't necessarily mean a huge number of new people coming into New Zealand as such, there are many, many people, and I've been dealing with them and the team locally have been dealing with them, who currently don't have the certainty as to what the future is for them here in New Zealand. And so this will provide them with that certainty. You know, an opportunity for permanent residency here comes with that, a number of rights and responsibilities. Uh, many of them have been calling for that. And so it really is just one step shy of citizenship. Um, and in many circumstances, you know, those that do receive permanent residency uh, effectively receive the very similar rights and responsibilities that New Zealand citizens do. So this will make a huge difference for them, but also for their families, because while they might be the individual uh, that is receiving this opportunity, that is extended to their immediate family um, as well. Because, you know, if, if people are going to make uh, New Zealand their home, then uh, obviously that's an important part of that. So, yeah, some really exciting good news. Um you know, and we've only been able to announce that this week because with the borders being closed, there has been uncertainty around what it, that all might look like. Um, and yeah, so some good news coming through locally. So there will be some new immigration as a result of these announcements then? Yes, there will be. Um, there will be. They, they, they won't be huge numbers because um, I accept your point in that the majority, the, the huge majority of these individuals in terms of applicants will be people that are currently here in New Zealand, uh, but there will still be some that come to New Zealand as a result of today's law. Yeah, Thursday's announcement. And so say someone is is here or is a visa holder overseas that wants to come here to work in one of those critical spaces. Uh, up until recently with this, uh, the temporary visa, they could most in most cases they came themselves. Their families stayed at their country of origin, they came themselves. If they become a permanent resident, does that allow them to bring in their immediate family as well? Once they become a permanent resident, um, yes, there are qualification opportunities through this announcement that's been made that would extend to their um, to their immediate family, and that's well defined in an immigration setting as well. Um, so, so this is yes, going to this is going to clog up MIQ. Is the point I'm getting to? This is going to clog up MIQ for for a considerable amount of time now, isn't it? It's it's a good point. Um, it won't clog up because, as I say, the majority of applicants are still here. All of them are here. In New Zealand. So but their immediate example, families might not be. Correct, but that would be a small number. Um, I mean, with you know, if I think of a couple of examples locally that relate to uh, one doctor, one teacher, you know, their, their family members are, their, their immediate family is already here. So this is providing certainty um, for them. What I would say is that this is, while it's a one-off pathway to permanent residency, it's not something that will happen overnight. So there is a, an application process um, the, the minister has indicated in the statement today that, you know, immigration will process them over a 12-month window. Some of those, of course, applications have been put on hold. So there are applicants there who, uh, for whom 
the application has been made and it's just been sitting because Immigration New Zealand has not commenced any processing since we've moved into COVID. Um, this will give them some certainty. So while it will, you know, I guess if we're looking 12 months, 18 months out, we don't know what that MIQ picture or environment will look like at this stage. Uh, but it's good news, and I know that because, you know, already we've received some positive messages from, from people locally around it. Splendid. Tangi Utikere, Memo Parimata o Papayoya. Thank you for joining us on the catch-up this morning. Oh, she-she, thank you. Always good. There we go. Uh, that is the catch-up for this morning on Two People's Radio. We will be back on Monday, hopefully, with another edition of the catch-up. Make sure you join us then. And remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions, npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.